Hello, I'm Ken, and this is Teach Medieval. And on today's episode, I am once again absolutely over the moon to be welcoming Professor Jonathan Harris. Hello again, Jonathan. Hello, Ken. Jonathan is Professor of the History of Byzantium at Royal Holloway University of London and the author of several key texts on the empire, uh, including Byzantium and the Crusades, which very excitingly is coming out in a third edition in December 2022. Now, Before we begin, I do want to take a moment to remind you that this is actually episode three in a larger mini-series of five on the topic of the Byzantine Empire by 1095. So if you haven't listened to episodes one and two already, please go and do so and come back and rejoin us here when you're ready. Right, so now that we've got that out of the way, uh, let's begin, shall we? Let's begin. Right, our topic for this, our third episode, is uh, the Western threats that the Byzantine Empire was facing in the years leading up to 1095. Uh, That's the threat from the Normans and the threat from the Pechenegs. So, shall we begin with the Normans, Jonathan? Oh, the Normans is. Right, here we go. So, when, uh, when did the Normans first turn up in southern Italy? Well, they've been there for some time. I think they're first recorded in, in about 1018. Um, a group of them were going on pilgrimage to the Holy Land and they get recruited as mercenaries. Um, and they stay on and they get joined by their friends. Um, and then they start grabbing part of southern Italy for themselves. These areas, of course, were still part of the Byzantine Empire at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the heel and toe of Italy, Apulia and Calabria. And so our main, our main character... Uh, is Robert Giscard of Hauteville. Uh, what do we know about this man? Well, he, he turns up at a, kind of, at a, at a later stage, uh, really, sort of in the 1050s, and starts really um, taking command of this, so far, not very systematic Norman takeover in southern Italy, and he really gives it impetus. So it's under him um, that, um, effectively, a very serious Norman conquest uh, starts to um, develop. Right. Okay. So what regions is he targeting and when? What does he manage to achieve? What damage does he manage to cause? Well, to start with, you know, this is quite quite a piecemeal conference, uh, conquest, really. So um, he's taking bits at a time. He's he's keen to take over these areas, Apulia and Calabria, the heel and toe of Italy. Right. Um, He's very keen to get his hands on the town of Bari, which was a kind of capital of the Byzantine administration. Okay. Um, and he finally does in 1071. He captures it, um, and then and, and then those areas are now lost to the Byzantine Empire. And of course, 1071, the loss of Barry in 1071 is significant, isn't it? Because that's exactly the same year as our defeat at Manzikert. Um It was took place in in about April, I think, in the spring. So it's a few before the defeat at Manzikert, Yes, but 1071 is quite a significant year. Um, so. Did um, Robert Giscard find this conquest easy? I mean, we're on the Italian peninsula here. Were the Byzantines able to put up any sort of convincing, you know, resistance to his conquest? 
uh, it had always been a bit of an outpost, southern Italy. Yeah. Very rare for the emperor ever to commit serious troops there. Um, the way he hung on there was by recruiting allies, mm-hmm. um, effectively. So what the emperor does um, to hold up the Norman conquest is he looks around and says, well, who doesn't like the Normans um, in Italy? And, of course, the obvious person is the pope. Yeah. Because the Pope is actually a, a ruler as well as a priest. Uh, he rules the Papal States. Mm-hmm. And his Papal States are right next door to these areas that the Normans are taking over. Um, so to start, what, what the Byzantine Emperor does is he makes an alliance with the Pope. Uh, and the Pope does actually lead an army against the Normans at one point in 1053. Um, he loses the battle, mm-hmm. but there's no doubt the alliance with the Pope does help to, 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 to slow up uh, Robert Giscard's conquest. Right, because then that relationship changes, doesn't it? The relationship between the papacy and the Normans. Well, in fact, it completely flips. Certainly, it's a, a complete change. Um, what's happening is that there is a reform movement gathering pace in Rome, and there are two parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, a reform movement that wants to really cleanse the church of all kind of worldly influence. Um, an imperial party which um, wants to um, stick closer to the Western Emperor, the Western German Emperor. Um, so this reform party, um, by the late 1050s, gets control when uh, one of its members becomes Pope Nicholas II. Right. And he thinks, well, look, um, while we're fighting the Normans, they could be useful friends to us in the future if we come into conflict with the Western Emperor. So in 1059, Nicholas II um, says to Robert Giscard, OK, um, I won't oppose you anymore. I will recognise you as duke and ruler of those areas you've taken from the Byzantines. Right. And um, Robert's absolutely delighted. So he's invested as duke of Apulia and Calabria. Mm-hmm. And this is the Treaty of Melfi. Is that right? That's right. Yes. And that will have boosted uh, Robert's position on the peninsula immeasurably, wouldn't it? Oh, it gives him legitimacy. Yeah. yeah he, he'd already, of course, divorced his normal wife and married a, a southern Italian, a lady called Sico Gaeta, in order to gain that legitimacy. But now having the Pope endorsing him, yes, I mean, he's, he's arrived, basically. And that's going to make it very, very difficult then, isn't it, for the Byzantines to have any hope of reclaiming this territory? Well, from that point on, it is difficult. What they try to do later on is they they try to negotiate with the imperial party uh, when there's a disputed papal election and see if they can get the imperial pope to uh, um, come back to the anti-Norman alliance. But it doesn't work, unfortunately. So by the late 1070s, Robert Giscard has southern Italy and Sicily to himself, really. Yes, he started the conquest of Sicily, which was un- actually under under uh, Arab rule rather than the Byzantine. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yes, and of course, what can the Byzantines do now? Um, there's no hope of an alliance with the Pope. So they bow to the inevitable and they make a treaty with him. Right. Saying, OK, well, you know, we, we accept that you're, you're Duke of Apulia and Calabria and we'll even um, let uh, your daughter uh, marry the son of Michael VII Ducas. Uh, In return, you'll be our ally. Um, This is fairly standard Byzantine practice. If somebody's good enough to defeat you, uh, you may as well make friends with them and then use them against your other enemies. Mm -hmm. Um, They're probably thinking of maybe using Robert against the Pechenegs or possibly against um, the Turks in Asia Minor. But of course, uh, Michael VII's own deposition in 1078... Uh, brings an end to that marriage proposal, doesn't it? It does, unfortunately. That's that. Um, and so the treaty is is basically abrogated. 
um, and uh, by the new emperor, which is this general, Nikiaphorus Botaniates. Um, and Robert, of course, is, is absolutely furious because he's, this was the next step after be, getting the endorsement of the Pope. If you can actually then link yourself by marriage to the Byzantine emperor, mm-hmm. um, that's been very prestigious. And now that's all been snatched away. Uh, so Robert is, is, is not happy. Which leads us to his decision to attack uh, the Byzantine Empire in Illyria. Yes. I mean, what happened is somebody turned up at Robert's call claiming to be Michael VII. Hmm. Um, now, Robert knew perfectly well that it was, in fact, just a, a kind of uh, imposter. I mean, Michael VII was perfectly, perfectly well. He'd been deposed. He'd been sent off to a monastery. He later becomes Bishop of Ephesus. Um, but he, he, ne- he never went off to Italy. But Robert didn't mind. He's got a pretext now. He can say, look, here's this wronged Byzantine emperor mm-hmm. who's been chased from his own capital city. We need to make war on his behalf. And um, he makes this case to the Pope, who says, yes, absolutely right. And the Pope um, endorses um, Robert's plan to attack Byzantium. Um, he actually, in, in the same way, he, uh, uh, an earlier Pope had endorsed William the Conqueror's invasion of England, in fact. Uh, so he gets papal approval. And uh, yes, in the summer of, uh, of 1081, he launches a fleet across the Adriatic and he lands in the Byzantine Balkans um, and begins his invasion. To besiege the city of Darakium. So that's right. What is now Dures in uh, in Albania? Yes, he, it's a strategically very important place. Um, but of course, his ultimate goal is to march uh, eastwards to Thessalonica and then to Constantinople itself. Right. So we'll leave Robert and the Normans there for now, and let's move to the second Western threat. Um. Now, the pigeon eggs, I mean, I think, you know, casual listeners will be, you know, very familiar with the Huns and the Vandals and the Goths and the Saxons, but like the pigeon eggs, uh, why don't they have the, the profile that these other tribes have? Who were the pigeon eggs? Yes, it's, it's, yes it, it, it might be rather difficult to find any pigeon eggs around today. Um, they are one of many, many Turkic tribes who originate in the steppes of Central Asia, mm-hmm. um, as did the Huns, of course, and then move usually being pursued by another group. Um, so the Pechenegs had moved uh, had moved westwards um, quite a long time ago, many centuries ago, and had occupied uh, land to the north of the River Danube. So between the, the River Danube and the Crimea, that's kind of Pecheneg territory. That's what, really where they're, where they're based. Um, and have they, like, from the moment they arrived on the scene, were they always a thorn in Byzantium's side? Or were they one of those tribes that sometimes they allied with and played off against another tribe? Uh, generally, the Petronegs are the latter. They are useful allies for the Byzantines, mm-hmm. um, especially when the Byzantines were fighting the Bulgarians. Um, you could use the Petronegs if you wanted somebody to attack the Bulgarians from behind. Uh, you could just pay the Petronegs to do that. Yeah. Uh, and they're happy people because they're horse archers. They move fast um, and uh, they can do a lot of damage uh, and they're very difficult to catch. Uh, so um, the Byzantines have no quarrel with the Pechenegs. Um What changes is when the Byzantines in 1018 conquer Bulgaria right. um, and move their frontier right up to the Danube, because now the Byzantines have a frontier with the Pechenegs. Yes. Um, and that means that Pechenegrady is going to spill over into Byzantine territory 
uh, rather than into Bulgarian territory. So that that's really when things things change, and that's when the the, the Pechenegs started to become a, a nuisance. Um, and actually, the Pechenegs in the 1050s, 1040s, 1050s cross the Danube, enter onto Byzantine territory, and actually quite a few of them sort of settle on the land and set up a kind of state within a state, which the Byzantines find very difficult to control. Okay, uh, so that's the problem really with the Pechenegs. And so that's what are they causing like major economic disruption at this time, or is it territorial seizure, or is it what is it? Why what's the problem that they're causing? Uh, the Pechenegs aren't really a unitary state. They're kind of tribes. So effectively, they haven't actually annexed the land, mm-hmm. um, but they're occupying a lot of it. Um, they're um, taking the agricultural produce. They're interfering with the collection of taxes and they're raiding outside of I- into other territory. Um, so that's really the damage they're doing. Yeah. So they, they really have to be stopped. And at any point, do they approach the walls of Constantinople itself? I mean, are they a threat to the capital? Well, the, the kind of the, the worst moment for the Byzantines is the winter of 1090 to 1091, when the Pechenegs kind of ally themselves with one of the Turkish emirs of Asia Minor and the emir called Chaka, who's based at Smyrna, what is now Izmir. Mm-hmm. Uh, sends up a fleet and the Pechenegs arrive by land and there's a brief siege of Constantinople. Um, and um, that's that's really the, the, the moment when the Pechenegs are at their most threatening. Right. So we'll leave them there and we'll come back to them uh, in episode five. Uh, Jonathan, once again, thank you so much uh, for that fantastic analysis of the Western threats from the Normans and the Pechenegs. Uh, we'll see you again on the next episode when we're considered the Eastern threats from the Seljuks. And that's that. I've been Ken, and this is Teach Medieval.